Our sermon passage this morning is from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 through 14. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You may be seated. Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Blessed to be alive. And very thankful, uh, very thankful for this opportunity. Very thankful for Redeemer Church. Um, I could not enumerate or truly express how thankful I am for this church. And Jamie, thank you. Second time. Um, for those of you though that might not know me, my name is Nathan Drake. My wife is Stacy sitting right there. And we usually are in this service. I sit right there and I make a lot of noise. Um, <clears throat> I did about 15 years in the Navy. I was a chaplain. I did two tours, two combat tours to Iraq as a chaplain of Marines. Uh, about 22 years of ministry experience, but um, I also have PTSD, and Stacy and I came here in February of last year very, very broken, and so uh, this morning was the first time that I preached since the last Sunday of April in 17, and the whole world has changed for me since that time, so again, Jamie, thank you. Um. How many of you are second or third or multi-generation Christian? Okay, me too. And I'm going to start with a little bit of bad news because multi-generational Christians, we've got, we got some hang-ups. Some things that, that first-generation Christians don't have. One of them is that we don't tend to ask questions or maybe not the right kinds of questions. 
And especially if you grew up among fundamentalists like I did, you don't ask questions at all because God forbid that you ask questions because that might challenge the faith. Well, I was one of those souls that was a troublemaker and I asked a lot of questions. And I continue to ask a lot of questions. And because I've always been an inquisitive soul that asks a lot of questions, matter of fact, I got my undergrad in philosophy, the book of Ecclesiastes has a very, very, very near and dear place in my heart. It is the most philosophical book of the Scripture. Uh, after I preached this morning, one person told me it was very brave to, to preach out of Ecclesiastes, and I said, why? And he said it was because it was a confusing book, and it's not confusing to me, but I tend to think the way that Solomon did here. Um, so as we talk about missions, and this is Missions Month, and the thrust of Redeemer for this month is a good reminder and a good refocusing. And Jamie started the beginning of the month uh, speaking about from Redeemer to there and speaking about the fact that we exist as a manifestation of the missionary zeal of Christ. That we serve a missionary God, a God on mission, and we are part of that mission. And then the following Sundays going, going forward, that we heard a sermon about a life of purpose, a life of joy, and a life of glory. And all of those are good reminders, have been good reminders, that if we as Christians are properly aligned with our Lord, who is a missionary, zealous God, then we will have a life of purpose, a life of joy, and a life filled with glory. But, sitting there in that seat, for the last year, was an interesting experience for me because for the first time in over 20 years, I sat in the service as a layperson. And I don't know about you, but asking questions, we get the idea of, okay, I know who I am. I know what the Lord does in my life. I know what He is about in my life. And I know what I'm called to do and called to be and where I'm called to live and where I'm at. And I'm not going to move to Zimbabwe. Well, you might or might not, right? If you are in true obedience to the Lord, because we never know what he's going to call us to do. But if he's not going to call you to go afar, does that mean that you're not involved in missions? No, absolutely not. So... Part of what I intend to do, Lord help me, is show you how Ecclesiastes speaks to the nature of how each and every single one of us, wherever we are in our life, whatever we do, are, or at least can be, involved in the mission of our missionary Lord. Okay? So please pray for me. Hopefully I'll do better than I did the first time because... Um, I tend to be long-winded. Okay, so overall, Ecclesiastes, uh, it's, it's considered part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Uh, it was written by Solomon, Solomon, the son of David. By this time, Solomon had become king. He had been instrumental in establishing the temple. He had done the awesome, awesome prayer of dedication for the temple, which I encourage all of you to read because if you ever, ever think that Judaism of the Old Testament was just about ethnic Israel, 
at least read what Solomon said to the congregation when he dedicated the temple. He knew that it was for everybody everywhere and that our God was always about saving everyone. But Solomon, by this time, by the time that he writes this book, he has already gallivanted with all of the wives of all of the pagan kings, brought them into Israel, established temples and high places to worship idols, and has kind of fallen away and now is in the latter part of his life with various regrets and various issues and coming to terms philosophically with the wisdom that the Lord has given him to work through all of that. Okay? So he starts by saying, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanity. So preacher there translated is in the, in the Hebrew koaleth, which means convener, leader, speaker, teacher, or preacher of the assembly. The, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, rendered it Ecclesiastes, which is member of the assembly, and that's where we get our English name of the book, Ecclesiastes, which was uh, considered by the Jews to be a title for Solomon, the convener of the assembly, because he was king, he would convene them, he would speak to them, so on and so forth. And then he says, vanity of vanities. And that word translated vanity, you may have various translations that says futility. Um, the idea in the original is something that is empty that we think is grandiose. It's not just emptiness, not just futility. It's emptiness and futility that we ascribe great worth to. How many of our peers, how many of our friends, how many of our neighbors are engaged in all the things of the world that they think are awesome but are ultimately going to burn? Right? And so Solomon says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then verse 3, he asks the question, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So he's asking this question, this is kind of the question of the book, what's the point? What's the meaning of life? What is, what's the deal? But he sets up here in the beginning under the sun. And this is one perspective. Under the sun. You know, Saul, that flaming ball that gives us light every day. Right? Under the sun. Everything under the sun. And he, gives, he uses this phrase, under the sun, 28 times between here and, and chapter 10, verse 5, to show and argue that everything under the sun is vanity worthlessness that we think is awesome, okay? Now, that's kind of depressing, or it can be, if you don't get the other perspective. The other perspective comes along by, the, by verse 12 of chapter 1, which verse 12 says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And this phrase, under heaven, he sets up as the foil to the idea of under the sun, everything that's vain, under the sun. But then, here's a different perspective, a godly perspective, everything done under heaven, okay? And so, he, he goes on through his argument, and that takes us to chapter 3, verse 1, which is that wonderfully winsome, wise uh, portion, the first verse first eight verses we, we hear in a song by the birds where they quote directly those eight verses, right? 
everything there is is a season, turn, turn, right? Okay? Well, even, even the heathen like, like this part of this book. Um, but you get down here, and after he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, and he, he mentions various things, verse 9, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And this is, this is, his, this is what he's going to say about the perspective of what's done under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Everything that God does, that God does, and he's going to say this, endures, right? And everything that God does is beautiful in its time. But everything that man does that isn't, from the Lord or in line with the Lord is vanity. Futility that we think is awesome. So he, he continues on with these two perspectives. And that gets us to chapter 12. Uh, the reading that Sister Sarah read this morning. And even part of this sounds depressing. And I won't bore you with the first seven verses of all of the the extremely clever ways that Solomon spoke about medical knowledge of the Hebrews, talking about all the body's systems failing as they go, grow old and die. That's what verses 1 through 7 are. Okay? He says, remember the Lord, be mindful of the Lord in your youth. And the admonishment is because our life is but a vapor and it goes by like that and we're all going to grow old and die. Okay? Now, that can be depressing if we're just focused on what we do under the sun. But I believe, as a church, and the fact that we're here this morning shows that we have a little bit different orientation, or at least I hope we have a different orientation, right? We're concerned about what is the Lord doing under heaven, and how can we be aligned with that? How can we make our days worthwhile, right? He has redeemed us. How can we redeem the time? And so he goes on. Verse 8 of chapter 12 is his concluding refrain after he's talked about growing old and dying. He's saying, vanity of vanity, says, or laments, the preacher, all is vanity. And then verse 9, verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, you know, like a cattle prod. But hear this. Like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Now, typologically, this is a framing of Christ being nailed. I won't go down that path too far uh, unless you argue with me. But... Uh, verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. And then verse 13 and 14. I, uh, in my slides, we're calling this the existential all. Chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. 
uh, as the King James renders it, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I grew up, that's one of those, that's one of those verses that I've memorized that has had a huge, huge impact on me. Part of probably why I went in the service was being very duty-oriented. The word duty isn't even in the original. Because this is an idea that, that comes along, and even the ESV uh, puts the word duty because there's about five different renderings of this passage where, where translators are trying to figure out what is Solomon getting at? What is he getting at? Because he, he uses uh, various words like the end, let's hear the end of the matter, and then he uses the word in Hebrew for all, four times. Now, if you're a biblical scholar and you know anything about the Old Testament, if an Old Testament author repeats a word, it means that's an exclamation point. Pay attention. He's used it four times. Now, it's translated in various words in English, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to show you what he's, what he's saying. The word all is used four times. So he's saying all, 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 all. Okay? So what he's saying here in verses 13 and 14 is he's saying all hear the final word. I mean, everybody. Everybody hear the final word. All mankind. All mankind. Man, woman, child, everybody. All mankind. All work. Including all secrets. Okay? So, all here, all mankind, all works, all secrets. And what about it? All, all the final words, all mankind, all works, all secrets, what about it? God is mindful of them in judgment. Meaning, all, 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 all. God is mindful of everything in judgment. Okay? Everything. <clears throat> and so if God is mindful of everything, well, what then? Because he's making an argument, right? It's just very, very linear. Okay? All, 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 all. God is mindful of all in judgment. So what about it? Fear God and keep His commands. That's, that is the final word, right? Because God is going to bring all things into judgment, including all our ugly secrets that nobody knows, the secret thoughts where we are vile, wretched people, all things, fear Him and keep His commands. Now, this sounds like a very, very dreary, very judgmental, very scary, and depending on what side of the fence you're on, yeah, right? Okay? But, this is Solomon, and Christ is one greater than Solomon. Amen? So, this brings us to point two, the idea of fear and fealty. And you may, not, you, you may not be familiar with the word fealty. Uh, it goes all the way back in Middle English to the Middle Ages. And 
to sum it up succinctly, is fealty is an act of obedience to a king. Okay? An act of obedience to the king. Not just that your heart is rightly oriented towards the king, but that what you do, word, thought, and deed, is towards the king in a good way. Okay? Fealty, an act of obedience. So, now, who's the king? Jesus. Jesus is king. King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, Jesus is God. Okay? The Christ. He is our Lord. He is our king. Okay? Now, so, fear and fealty. Now, you, just as you might not have been familiar with fealty, you might not be familiar with the Hebraic idea of fear either. Okay? The Hebraic idea of fear, the, the uh, Latin-speaking church, had, by the time of the early church fathers, had developed an idea, and in Latin it is the mysterium tremendum et fascinans. Okay? The fearful and fascinating mystery. Christ is a fearful and fascinating mystery. I did 22 years of ministry and been in many, many, many places. A lot of dark, dark stuff. And I'll tell you the more you know our Lord, the more mysterious He is, the more fascinating, and indeed fearful. Okay? So, the mysterium, the mystery, He is so other. God is not like us. Yes, He came and became one of us, so that he could identify with us and we could identify with him, Lord Jesus, our Christ, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our great high priest, our doctor, right? But as God, he is supremely other. When he comes back, his eyes are great flaming balls of fire. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a human with flaming eyes, okay? He is other. He is mysterious. And part of the mystery is that it is tremendous. It's fearful. That is, we, he is so beyond us. Think of the Jews at Mount Sinai. They couldn't even stand hearing him speak. Said, please, you Moses, talk to us because we don't want to hear from him anymore. They were scared. He had just rescued them, and that is the marriage ceremony with, with that old covenant right there, but they're scared. Rightfully so, right? But the fascinating part, the fascinating part, Christ, our Lord Jesus, has a charm and a love for us that despite his tremendous, tremendous nature that would make us fearful, it draws us because he's the lover of our soul, right? He is so great and so mighty and so powerful, but he loves us. 
He is the one good God, right? So the Lord is the fearful and fascinating mystery. And so I want you to understand, when Solomon's saying, fear God and keep his commands, this is the understanding of the fear of God that he's talking about, okay? Not just, not just phobia, not just dread and fear, but this awesome, mysterious, yes, somewhat fearful, but draws us and loves us, right? So that kind of, of fear. Now, fealty. Solomon said, keep his commands. But we serve Christ, who is greater than Solomon, right? Solomon was under the old covenant, but yet he knew the eternal covenant that the Hebrew writer talks about, right? Because don't get fooled by various heretics that try to make a hard, hard, hard line between the two covenants. Both covenants are manifestation of what the Hebrew writer calls the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant. Does it not say that the Lord Jesus Christ stood as a lamb slain from the foundations of the world? Yes, it does. Okay? It's always been about Christ. Always, 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 always. It's always been by grace through faith that one is saved. But, fealty, active obedience. So the Lord, Jesus... And we can see this in various places, but uh, I prefer in Mark's gospel. In Mark's gospel, he comes across a young uh, scribe, and they're disputing, and he outright says, so Mark's gospel, chapter 12, I'm not going to read it because uh, I'm already going over time. Mark, chapter 12, verse 28 he, he summarizes all the law and the prophets hang upon these two. Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang upon these two. And those are actually quotations out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, out of the old law. Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right there in the law. And then at the end of that encounter, he says, you're not far from the kingdom. And so he brings the kingdom into it. And Christ is the king. If you read Matthew's gospel... And, and aren't looking for the kingdom by the time that you get done reading that, then you didn't read it right. Because that's the whole thrust of that book, is Christ is the king and here to establish a kingdom. And the kingdom is already but not yet. We're in that tension. He's going to reign up yonder until every enemy is done. The last one of which is death. And I'm, as so far, all of us are still going to die, right? Because he hasn't come back yet. So, already but not yet. So, seek the kingdom. He says over and over, seek the kingdom. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he says, all the Gentiles are anxious. They seek the world's stuff, right? Well, Solomon already said that all of that's vanity. So why do you seek that? And the Lord's saying, don't be anxious. The Lord knows what you need. You can't add anything to your life by anxiety. So seek first the kingdom, and all of this will be added unto you, is what he says. So, as far as fealty and what all of this has to do with missions, and Redeemer, and us gathered, and us focusing on missions, is that our missionary God tells us pretty succinctly 
that all of his commands are wrapped up in love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and seek the kingdom. Seek to establish the kingdom. And the last point, very briefly, and I think that this whole month has been oriented towards this, is that missions are corporate fealty. Meaning that just like Solomon, when he was talking and repeated the word all, there in the, in the existential all, at the last of his book, the idea is all with a mindfulness of each individual part. Okay? Just like Redeemer is a church. A single entity. Bride of Christ. But Redeemer doesn't exist if it weren't for each and every single one of us. Right? And Redeemer as a church is a missionary zealous church serving a missionary zealous God. That means that all of us need to be mindful of the fact that the Lord desires greatly to use each and every one of us. And if you are loving our Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and seeking the kingdom, you're going to be a fascinating mystery to many too. And that opens a lot of doors when they see that your life is not oriented towards the vanity. Your life is a different perspective. Your life is about what is the Lord doing under the heaven, the things that are beautiful in their own time. Right? And those doors, those are the ones that you walk through, and those are the ones that the Lord will bring forth much fruit. And that's each and every one of us being on mission and the church being mission-oriented. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray that you take this, the sacrifice that I have had to offer, and use it as you see fit, and I trust as you promised, your word does not return unto you void. I'm very thankful for this opportunity. I pray that I did not misuse it. Please forgive me where I fail you, and please be with each and every one of us. We desire greatly to serve you and be on mission for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' most holy and precious name, we ask these things. Amen.